I'm Leslie, and this is a podcast about the hobbies where misfits belong. It's niche to meet you. Warhammer 40,000 itself is a science fiction universe. It's meant to take place in the year... 40,000 AD. It started off as just a tabletop game, but you know, since expanded in terms of like lore and all these different forms of media that kind of give backing to the actual tabletop game. In December of 2022, Superman's Henry Cavill announced a partnership with Amazon to produce a film series called Warhammer 40,000. Now, It's likely you glazed over this information if you even came across it in the first place. It's not the sort of thing that gets attention, like when Amazon did the Lord of the Rings series, Rings of Power. But deep in the trenches of tabletop gaming, there was great rejoicing for, in the same game shops and hobby shops and homes, that the famed Dungeons and Dragons is being played. There's another game that boasts an entire universe of characters and wars and worlds, and it's called Warhammer 40,000, and it's the perfect hobby. City with materials, it's a big old ship, right? And so a hive city is basically a big- This is my husband. His name is Mike. You might not be able to believe it from this clip, but Mike is a man of few words, except apparently when it comes to a very specific hidden corner of pop culture. But they don't use technology, they're all biological. And they basically go to a world, conquer it, and consume all of the biological matter. Now, Mike is a busy man, but he does find time to read and listen to audiobooks from the Warhammer 40,000 universe. Warhammer 40,000, at its inception, was a tabletop war game born from the shadows of World War II with a dash of Tolkien, a bit of Star Wars, and a smidge of the Beatles. Now, I think this game, this universe, this thing is the perfect niche subculture hobby to start with in this series called Niche to Meet You. It's got all the things that make a hobby so important for us, and it wasn't until I talked to Rick Priestley, the original writer and conceptualizer of the world and the game of 40K, that I understood that. Listen to him explain the four things about hobbies that make them so significant for us. A lot of hobbies have craft. They're about doing something with your hands, which tends to occupy your mind. They give you the opportunity to develop skills. Now, you can be very skilled at some of these things to the extent that you can be uh, you know, always professional, professional artists, for example. But at the same time, there are also opportunities to um, engage competitive skills. You've also got an opportunity to simply socialize. But the fourth thing um, is it makes you think. Mm-hmm. If you've hobby that makes you think about that hobby when you're not doing it and it's just another way of connecting with the hobby the hobby makes you think about the hobby when you're not doing it and the more opportunity a hobby has or offers for that the better that hobby is in a way you know, the higher it scores and the hobby points and i would argue warhammer gives you the opportunity to do that in a way in that very few other competitive hobbies do yeah Warhammer 40,000 checks all the boxes for a great hobby. It utilizes craft to build and paint armies of models. It has strategy skills that are developed for gameplay, which has led to some making entire livings off of the thing. Socializing is inevitable around the game table as folks gather together for physical gameplay, which can take hours. 
And then there's the fiction library, the black library, they call it, written about the lore of the universe and things like musical projects give gamers the opportunity to think about the game outside of play. See, it's like the framework for a perfect hobby. We'll use this exploration of Warhammer 40,000 as a prototype for this show. I want to first tell you what it's about, its origins, its history, then introduce you to the people who play it for fun, will actually play a game, and by then you'll probably be thinking, who the heck thought of all of this? To which I'll respond, why? Rick Priestley and Andy Chambers, of course. And let me introduce you to them. This is a story that has it all. Space Marines, evil AI, or is it? World War II, measuring tape, corrupted government, model painting competitions, but no hope. Definitely no hope. More on that later. It's niche to meet you, and this is Warhammer 40,000. It was a fantasy tabletop war game. You have miniature armies made up of these individual models, and you have a, a tabletop terrain which looks a little bit like a model railway terrain. You know, it's got, got hills and walls. That's Rick Priestley talking about the earliest version of this Warhammer 40,000 universe. He's the guy who dreamed it to life in the 70s. The armies battle it out over this terrain for, uh, uh, really, usually just to see who, who uh, destroys the other one. You know, <laughs> but Warhammer 40,000 is not just a tabletop war game. It's become more than that. It's an entire media empire with books and music and video games. And there are so many different points of entry into the hobby. Some people play the tabletop games. Some people only paint the models. Some people only make the models with 3D printers, though this is very illegal. Some only read the books or play the video games. It's a labyrinth with many entrances, and all of it counts as being involved in the Warhammer hobby. So where did this all come from? What's the context? Well, to start, the Warhammer 40,000 universe was born out of the culture of a war-torn United Kingdom. Uh, I mean, we were writing at a time when we were coming out of 18 years with the Tory rule in Britain, and that had been grim. Believe you me, I, I grew up in it. And it was a whole, it was a whole succession of feeling like the, the state authority like bearing down, taking things away. Uh, and that's reflected in the background for 40k of like you know dystopian future states and as brits we, we always kind of believe that the future state will become dystopian just by default that's andy chambers he took over for rick Priestley as the head writer for the game in the early 90s and saw the game through a number of editions rick and andy are of different generations andy growing up behind rick and watching the older generation create the games he loved playing grown out of their popular culture Later in this series, we'll meet Rick and Andy in depth when they share how their own contexts and histories met the needs of a Britain-based gaming developer called Games Workshop. And the reason Games Workshop started was to sell Dungeons & Dragons in UK. You've probably heard of or at least recently familiar with the idea of Dungeons & Dragons. Oh, I have. It's impossible not to come across Dungeons & Dragons in researching a thing like Warhammer 40,000 because... Dungeons & Dragons is the poster child for game shops everywhere. It's a little bit more mainstream. Introduced to the world in 1970, D&D was the first game of its type to marry role-playing with fantasy. One of the guys who owned this company is Gary Gygax. I think he was an academic who used the idea of role-playing with his students to teach them about, you know, 
like might think psychology or other people actually he applied that idea to playing a game. So imagine you're a adventuring knight with a wizard and a party going into the mines of Moria in Tolkien terms, and you find the tomb of Balin, and then you're attacked by goblins. And what do you do? And that game evolved from that context. And Warhammer owes its existence to D&D. Now, D&D and 40K are not at all the same, but they grew out of the same traditions and contexts. The rise of fantasy and art and science fiction in popular culture. And they share a common denominator in inspiration from the fantasy writer J.R.R. Tolkien, who imagined Middle-earth and brought us stories of hobbits and wizards and orcs and elves in The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. In fact, in that last clip I just played, Rick was referring to a hypothetical situation in The Lord of the Rings. Tolkien is behind a lot of D&D and the developments in fantasy in the 1970s. You know, Gary Gygax himself, the, the chap that invented D&D, or rather one of the people that invented D&D, but certainly the chap that became synonymous with it. He, he was a great Tolkien fan, but he also read a lot of contemporary fantasy, including Michael Moorcock and Fritz Leiber and, and so on and so forth. There are half a dozen classic fantasy authors who contributed ideas into D&D. Not, I mean, not deliberately, the ideas, their ideas are seen in D&D. The same people were, of course, read by me and my friends and uh, the people that were writing and creating Warhammer. So D&D was developed in the US and Games Workshop had the license to distribute it in the UK, but that time was limited. They had the license for D&D, but only had it for a certain time. So at that point, it was decided that... Um, they would branch out and they started importing other games, like which you might have heard of, like RuneQuest, for example. Called. At the same time, we started to produce our own versions of those games. And Warhammer was sort of a version of that game. It was our take on D&D. But because we were a toy soldier company and we wanted to sell more toy soldiers, and because we enjoyed that kind of thing, <laughs> we made Warhammer more of a battle game. It had role-playing elements to it, but it was more of a battle game. And Warhammer 40,000 kind of just picked up the baton and ran with it. And Warhammer 40,000 is informed by history and art and science, not only from Tolkien, but from the sci-fi media movement that took over Saturday morning cartoons and movie theaters. They were combining science and art in new ways, like, for example, Star Wars. Science fiction films prior to that tended to be, again, very staid, like 2001, and serious, sensible. Apart from your kind of Saturday morning Buck Rogers shows and things like that, which were a lot more bouncy and fun, which is what George Lucas was trying to recapture when he made Star Wars. Yeah, quite the impact for its time, because it showed that science fiction could be fun and exciting and have space fighter combat and things like that. And there's one more thing about Warhammer 40,000 that's worth mentioning here. The world is specifically written to be devoid of hope, kind of. In fact, Here's its slogan. In the grim darkness of the far future, there is only war. That's Robert. We're going to meet him in the next episode. Only war forever and ever. The hallmark of the 40K universe is that it is a, it's a universe without hope. There is no hope. It's very bleak. It's dark. There's just there's nothing except war. That's kind of the only thing that exists. This is Marcus. He played when he was a teenager and has recently picked it up again. Like, how do you manage telling this giant thing where you are basically saying there is no such thing as hope? From a humanity's standpoint, the only, like, the closest thing you have to that is loyalty to the emperor. Like, that's it. <laughs> I ask the creators about this, and in future episodes, we'll explore how the ideas of hope and meaning find themselves in the midst of a universe written to be completely devoid of them. 
It's one more flavor of hobby imagined during a time of societal hopelessness and despair. It was a reflection of the context and culture of the time of its inception. Okay, so that's where it came from. But how do you, like, do it? Well, let's talk about that after the break. Hey, we'll get back to the episode in a second, but first... This is usually where people will ask you to subscribe, rate, and review the show on your platform of choice, and I would love if you did that. It's super helpful. But you know what's more helpful is telling a friend that you like it. So what if right now you texted one friend and said, hey, I'm listening to this new show called Niche to Meet You. I think you'd really like it. You know what I'll even do for you? I will play music for the next 15 seconds before we get back to the second part of the episode, so you can do it without missing a thing. Okay, ready? Here you go. Tonight. Oh my God. There's a lot of observing to do. There's a new edition just dropped two weeks ago. So we have seven tables. That's Robert. He's kind of like my guide into the Warhammer 40,000 universe. We met at my neighborhood game shop on the night listed on their calendar to be devoted to 40K play. The time frame was listed as 5 p.m. to 11 p.m. I showed up at 7 when games were well underway. Robert and I stood in the front room of the shop, surrounded by stands of boxes and packaged models and a crew of people and talked about Warhammer for 45 minutes. Just talked about it. Meanwhile, there was this hum of activity that was emanating from the back room where seven tables were engaged in tabletop wargaming infused with statistic and precise measurements. Robert picked up a box and began to explain what was inside. The newest edition for the game, we're now in 10th edition. Right. It's brand new, it came out two weeks ago. This This guy. It's this big box. Okay. So you get a book, you get the cards, you get um, decals to put on your models, and then you get all these models. All those models here. All these models. So there's technically two combat patrols in this game. The combat patrol is a 500 point game. Most games are played at 2,000 points. Gameplay starts with this box. The box has unpainted models most of which the gamer constructs themselves. So right away, you got to put in some elbow grease. An investment is made from the get-go. From there, you can paint them, maybe even intricately. In fact, some people only paint them and go to hobby stores just like this one just to paint the models while others play the game. I got into the game for the models and the painting because I like doing crafty stuff. And I was like, these models look really cool. I want to try to paint them. Players may even pay others to paint their armies, like Robert. And there are even competitions for model painting. In fact, so every year GW does um, a Golden Demon Award, where it's a paint competition at a global scale, and the best of the best painters, miniature painters, submit to it. They go from just a single model to big, large models to huge dioramas. Once you start diving deep into the Warhammer 40,000 universe, it's really easy to start thinking, my gosh, all of this is so expensive. Yeah, it's not a cheap hobby, but most of them aren't, right? Robert feels strongly about this and helped me put it in perspective. I have a a whole diatribe for this. I don't think this hobby is any more expensive than any other adult hobby. If you are a fishing nut, 
you probably are going to spend as much money as I have on 40k on fishing stuff or golfing or like painting canvases or like any hobby you can think of I don't think this one is any worse than any of those I think there is a negative connotation to buying plastic army men and building them and playing with them in your free time um, that I think has gotten way better than it was 20 years ago but I, I don't think this hobby is any more expensive you could easily start and play this hobby for less than $400 and have a great time you could at its cheapest you could do it for 300 if you talk to a Warhammer gamer long enough I'm going to call them hammerheads you start to get these lore-sharing rants, similar to how my husband sounded that one night in our living room. It's very difficult to understand it, to be honest. They fight with mech suits. Um, the Eldar space elves, dark space elves. This is a chaos faction of space marines. So they're just like... Oh, the space marine. Space marines. Space marines. Space marines. The space marines. Space marines. Space marines are both the hero and sometimes the anti-hero of the Warhammer 40,000 universe. The official legal name of this division of character in the Warhammer world is Adeptus Astartes, created by Games Workshop, so it could trademark the name because you can't really claim creation of the words space and marine. But in colloquial terms, they're space marines. They're the defenders of humanity, the Emperor's army, superhumans. It's hard to kill a space marine. They bounce back from wounds pretty easily, that's in their statistics. In gameplay, this makes them a great army to use. And then there are Tyranids. Tyranid, there's a hive mind. So there's one master intelligence that controls billions of creatures. And they're invading the galaxy from outside the galaxy. And there are nuns with guns. And there's this chaos god named Nurgle. And the well is deep. These are only a few of the many, many characters in this universe. I couldn't even possibly cover them all. And actually, by the time I'd listed them all, there would likely be more sub-characters created, making it an infinite loop of character listing. Of course, dear listener, after hours and hours of listening to people talk about this game, you know I had to play it myself. Or attempt to. So on another night, I joined Robert and his friend Aaron for a demo game. I was there for two hours, and we got through one round. Coming up on the next episode, we meet the people who play this game while we play the game. Why they spend time and money on it, and what keeps them coming back for more. So gird your loins, and break out your measuring tapes, my people. We're doing this for the <laughs> It's a Warhammer thing. You wouldn't get it. But maybe after the next episode, you might. Or not. We'll see. You've been listening to Niche to Meet You. You can learn more about this project at niche2meetyou.show. If you like what you heard, text two friends right now and tell them about the show. And if you want to support the work even more, buy me a pizza. See the link in the show notes. And special thanks to Abigail Flowers for composing the brilliant theme music. Thanks for joining us. Glad you were here. Hey, it's me again. Really quick, I wanted to offer an opportunity for you to give feedback on this show. If you're listening and you are into this hobby, it's a part of your life, I would love to hear from you. Did we get something wrong? 
should we correct something? We are totally open to doing future episodes with corrections, but would love to hear from the people who actually play it. So if you go to niche2meetyou.show and scroll to the very bottom, there is a section where you can supply feedback for a particular episode or hobby, and we would absolutely love to hear it. Thanks for listening.